Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Before coming to Connection Point, Shelly and I served overseas and, and part of that role included speaking in churches uh, across the country as we, we raise support. So, I mean, from North Dakota to Florida, from California to Maryland, and, and lots of places in between. And the thing I found interesting was the variety of people we would find in those churches, from upper class to those of lower income, from professionals to, to day laborers, various races, ethnicities, nationalities, all kinds, and, and even people who would align themselves to, to different political parties. And it was this last one that I found most interesting, because depending on where we were at in the country, or even within a particular state, you know, if it was more of a, a rural or urban setting, it would oftentimes influence what kind of issues mattered most to that church. And here's what I mean. If I was in a more uh, politically conservative area, issues related to a right for life or the expression of human sexuality, it mattered a lot. In areas where I'd be at and more of a more liberal leaning, issues of race or poverty, those were of utmost importance. And I found this interesting because when you look at the life and teachings of Jesus, he makes no such distinction regarding issues of morality and justice. He doesn't do that. In the New Testament books of Matthew and Luke, Jesus delivers his famous discourse, the, the Sermon on the Mount. We've actually looked at verses from this sermon uh, the past couple of weeks with Jesus in anger and Jesus in judging others. And something Jesus masterfully does within this message found in, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is he weaves together what we would call today private morality and social justice. He puts them together. Jesus addresses sexual sin and relational discord while also addressing issues related to racism and poverty. Which means as our family traveled around across the country, visiting with churches and, and encouraging them to live according to God's word, what we found was our churches in America were often influenced more by the surrounding political culture than by the spirit of Jesus and his teachings. Because conservative churches tended to concentrate on one set of sins while liberal ones focused on another. And the fun for me this morning is this is a church in both a rural and mid-sized town setting with university down the road. So I get you all today. <laughs> I was thinking about this. Like my opportunity this morning is I get to be both an equal opportunity offender and encourager. So Lord help us this morning. <laughs> Oh, Raymond uh, Fung, he's a, is an evangelist in Hong Kong. And he shared a story I thought was really interesting because he was speaking to a textile worker about the Christian faith and he had urged him to come and visit a church. And the man could not go to a service on, on Sunday without losing a day's wages, but he went anyway. And so after the service, Fung and the man, they went to lunch and, and the worker said, well, the sermon, it hit me. It had been about sin. What the preacher said was true of me. Laziness, a violent temper, 
All of these things. Addiction to cheap entertainment. Fung held his breath, trying to control his excitement. You know, this evangelist, he's like, great, you know, he got it. Had the gospel message gotten through. But he was disappointed. Because what the man said is, but nothing was said about my boss. The man said to Fung, when the preacher had gone through the list of sins, he had said nothing about how he employs child laborers. How he doesn't give us the legally required holidays. How he puts on false labels, how he forces us to do overtime. So Fung knew that the members of the management class were sitting in the congregation that day, but those sins were never mentioned. The textile worker agreed he was a sinner, he knew it, but he also then rejected the message of the church because he sensed its incompleteness. Lord, help us. So my hope today and for the next several weeks is that I preach a complete a message as I can on all of these topics related to justice. Full well-knowing. So let me say this up front. I have blind spots. I know that. I recognize that. But I'm asking the Lord to help me see and preach clearly on all of these things. And I know for some, I was thinking about the room this morning. For some, I won't take this conversation far enough. For others, I'll go too far. But I can tell you, I'm neither trying to do going too far or not saying enough. I'm not trying to teach some kind of like balanced message. And there's a reason for that. Because I don't think scripture is balanced. I don't think Jesus is balanced. Look, any guy that says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, die daily, he's not balanced, right? (laughs) So as you walk through the last part of this Better Together message series with a final section on righteous justice, I simply want to open up God's word to sit at the feet of Jesus. You'll see a lot of scriptures today. They'll kind of flash on the screen so you can have those if you want to go back to them. And I just want to see what Jesus has to say about justice and racism and poverty and refugees, a right to life and persecution. All those things matter. So let's go ahead and get into God's word. If you have your Bibles, oh, I hope you do. We're going to be in Luke chapter four today. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We say that just as a weekly reminder, man, I want to encourage you, get in God's word. Turn off the news, get in God's word. Get off social media, get in God's word. We want to have, our minds are being shaped by something. May it be shaped by the right thing. So we're in Luke chapter four. We're going to take a look at verse 16 this morning. I'm going to verse 21. And here's what it says. Luke writes, and he came to Nazareth. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So the way I'd I'd like to approach this final section of our message series is, is lay some groundwork today related to justice, and then look at more specific and practical applications as it relates to issues of of racism, poverty, refugees, and and such as we cover those topics in the coming weeks. I can't do it all today. Uh, It's going to be hard for me to do this in 40 minutes. So 
Uh, we'll just cover this. And then what we'll do is we will talk about applications today. I think that matters. Uh, but we'll be more generic in nature knowing we're going to cover these topics in detail in the weeks to come. So what I want to do is start today by answering the question, what is biblical justice? What's biblical justice? If we're going to talk about justice, it's important we define what justice is from God's point of view. We find in our culture a number of definitions of justice or, or even what justice issue is, is most important for people. But in the end, only one, only God gets to determine what justice is and how justice gets done. In fact, scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 30 that justice belongs to God. And it's so important to note that biblical justice is not, first of all, a set of bullet points or a set of rules and guidelines. Instead, justice is rooted in the very character of God, and it's the outworking of that character which is never less than just. Biblical justice is rooted in the character of God because God is just. It's who he is. And so when you examine scripture, what you will find is God's justice is both retributive and reparative. The justice of God not only punishes evil doing, but it restores those who are victims of injustice. But here's the thing when you look at scripture, God's restorative justice is far more prominent in scripture than the retribution. In fact, Jesus even says that if, that we are acting like God, he says we're acting like God, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, when we choose to love our enemies instead of hate them, because that's what God did. We were one, at one time enemies of God, but he chose to love us anyway. So there's something God-like about restorative justice. So the people of, of Bible Project, if you're not familiar with Bible Project, man, that's a great resource. They do a great job of putting things together. They've got a short video on justice, and I think this is a great summary. So let's go here, and then we'll dive back up here. So both God's retributive and restorative justice will come to final fulfillment. This is important for us to understand. We've got to be rooted in scripture in terms of how this gets done. It comes to its fulfillment, end of history, when we will live in a new heavens and new earth with righteous justice. This is a great verse in the New Testament that Peter, a follower of Jesus, writes. He says, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day where all is made right in the world in which we live. I really do. So with a brief understanding of, of how biblical justice uh, works, let's take a look at how Jesus participated in the justice of God. In other words, how did Jesus do justice? It's really important that we see that. So I want to take a minute to go back to the, the scripture that we were in this morning from Luke chapter 4 to see how Jesus handles justice. I had shared a message on these verses on May 28th, 2017, when we were in our series on Luke, Jesus, and Action. And I'm going to do a flyover of these verses. So if you want a more in-depth study on them, feel free to go find that message. It's there for you. But what we know of this passage is the context is, is that Jesus has spent 30 years preparing for ministry, living at home, being taught by Joseph and Mary, learning a trade. He's learned how to abide in God the Father. That's what he's been doing. He's then baptized by his wild and woolly cousin, John, the baptizer. And then he goes and spends 40 days in the wilderness, praying and fasting and really battling with Satan. Jesus, then he comes out of the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit, and he starts teaching in synagogues throughout the Galilee. 
He then comes to his hometown, Nazareth, as the guest speaker. And he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from chapter 61 where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus reads. And then he sits down and he gives the shortest sermon ever. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody's like, why can't we have those sermons, right? <laughs> but what Jesus reads, here's what's really interesting in this passage, and I do a lot more with it if you go back and listen to it, is he actually reads something slightly different than Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61 too, it actually reads, if you were to read the full verse, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So Jesus, what does he do? He removes the day of the vengeance of our God and he actually winds up adding two lines to Isaiah 61. He adds a line from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the recovering of sight to the blind, that's in the Septuagint. And then from Isaiah 58, what he does is he pulls in just a couple of chapters before to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to set the oppressed free. So what Jesus does is he removes a line and he adds a couple of lines. And by inserting the phrase from Isaiah 58, the audience in Nazareth knew he's now made reference to the larger understanding of Isaiah 58. And here's what Isaiah 58 says. Is not this the fast that I choose? Remember, he's just been fasting in the wilderness. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. That's where he pulls from and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. This is what Jesus, this is Jesus' actual sermon. He's pulled some things together and he's preaching to them. And here's what Jesus is saying to the crowd in Nazareth. You're living in a land of foreign occupation, an oppressed land. Yet if you want redemption, this is what you must do. Redemption will come when you show charity to the less fortunate, no matter who you are, not when God brings vengeance upon your oppressors. That's the message. So what he was saying is you really want redemption to come? It's not going to be by you sitting around wondering when your enemies are going to get what they have coming to them. It will happen when you start showing mercy to those around you, to everyone created in the image of God. If we continue to read this passage, we'll find the people of Nazareth become very angry with Jesus. When he suggests that redemption, it's not dependent on location or ancestry, but by being willing to show mercy, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim good news and show compassion, even if you're persecuted. So Jesus shows us in this passage, this is what's so important for us this morning. This is his inaugural address, the beginning of his ministry, the first recorded message. And what he says is, my mission is involved in three very important things. I proclaim good news. I show compassion. Not only that, but I participate in justice advocacy. That's the mission of Jesus. And considering we as a church are to continue the mission of Jesus, until he returns, it's important we consider all three of those dynamics for the church today. And what we'll see as we look at these three things 
is all three then address the issue, address the issue of biblical justice because Jesus is justice. God is justice, so Jesus is justice. And Jesus does justice by proclaiming good news, by showing compassion, and by participating in justice advocacy. So then following his example, how can we then participate in the justice of God? Very simply, we continue the mission of Jesus. That's what we do. Because as we seek Jesus, which is the whole goal of this series, it's Jesus and, because we want to know what he thinks about all of these things. We're seeking him. And as we do that, what we'll find is our perspective of justice changes from our own personal perspective to God's perspective once we start participating in the mission. If we're in it, God shapes it. And that's what we want. Because in all three components of the mission of Jesus, we see justice being done. So let's start with proclaiming good news. This is the first thing he says. Justice begins in repentance because we can't ask God to uphold only part of his justice on earth. You know, we might be praying, will Jesus bring justice to to the unborn or to the refugees or to evil men and women who are prejudiced and racist or bring justice to the people who traffic women and children into prostitution? And we should pray those things. But at the same time, we can't limit it to that because this is oftentimes what our culture might cry out for when they cry for justice. But justice and the kingdom of God, it's not piecemeal, it's not partial. We don't get the luxury of separating the sins out there with the sins in here. We don't get that luxury. When we ask God for justice, we're ultimately asking God that God's glory be vindicated against every evil person who defiles that glory, ourselves included. That's what we're praying for when we pray for justice. We know that Jesus is our judge, and one day soon, Jesus will sit on the very judgment seat of God and execute full and final justice for all mankind for all time. We know that's coming. He's going to come in glory, Scripture says. Everyone will stand before him. He will separate sheep from goats, wheat from weeds, followers from fakers. That's what he's going to do. And he will make right everything that went wrong. Every just cry for justice will be answered perfectly and completely. And he will reward the righteous, Scripture says. Those who've lived right with God and others, both matter. And he rewards them with eternal life a new heavens, new earth. So thanks be to God. The good news we get to proclaim is Jesus satisfied God's justice. Jesus satisfied it. When we look at the cross, we've got it over here. When we look at the cross of Jesus, we see the clearest display of God's justice on sin. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this justice becomes our justice. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness, in other words, the justice of God. And this is why we must make proclaiming good news an absolute priority. And without a doubt, there are a lot of justice issues in our world today, absolutely. And we should do something about them. I wanna be clear on that, and we'll talk more about that. We at Connection Point, we support local organizations committed to helping the unborn, orphans, people caught up in modern-day slavery, those affected by poverty or experiencing homelessness. We have a food pantry. 
We work with a local school to, to weekly give out backpacks of school supplies to local families. We give away Thanksgiving baskets in the holiday season. So we regularly help people in need through the church. We should be doing that. But under this first point of the mission of Jesus, proclaiming good news, it's vital we understand the greatest problem in our world today isn't homelessness. The greatest issue in our world today, it's not a lack of food or water. The greatest problem in our world today is not even racism. The greatest tragedy in our world today is access to the good news of Jesus. Because the effects of this tragedy, not having access to Jesus, the effects are eternal. Every other injustice is temporary. And here's the other reason why this matters so much. Because every other injustice in this world, the ones that we face in this world today, it all stems from people not being changed by Jesus. Every one of them. And I know it might seem like it's unfair for God to allow so many to have no knowledge of Jesus. But let us be clear this morning, there's no injustice in God. God is justice, we've already said it. The injustice lies in we who possess the good news of Jesus and we don't give our lives sharing it with those who don't. We're the ones at stake here. And I know some could be thinking, well, it's because you're a missionary pastor you think that way. I don't think this way because I'm a missionary pastor. Scripture is very clear. The mission of the church is go make disciples, teach them to obey Christ. And when this happens, so does justice. If you teach obedience to Christ, justice follows. It absolutely does. We proclaim good news and we make disciples as our first priority, not because other justice issues don't matter, but because if we get this one right, others get solved too. We've got to get this one right. So we as a church, we've got to address the issue of access to the good news of Jesus because it's the greatest injustice in our world today. And ultimately, it's what the church is here for. And what we know is this, when people actively and holistically participate in sharing good news with people who don't have it, other issues related to injustice, they do get resolved. Uh, I shared this in my message last fall, Jesus and Missions, that the active doing and teaching of Jesus through Holy Spirit empowerment, it solves things like racism, poverty, lack of education, homelessness, abusive family relationships, and so on. It solves them. There was this empirical long-term, statistically significant study done by Robert Woodbury. It was a few years back now. He's a a senior research professor at Baylor University where he analyzed the long-term social, political, and economic impact of Protestant missionary activity in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Did this incredible study. And what he shares in his article published in the Cambridge University Press, and you can look it up online, is that in areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past, that those areas are on average more economically developed today with better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, and a higher educational attainment, especially for women. Like it's been studied. So we know that this happens. That wherever the good news has been proclaimed, wherever missions has been done well, villages, communities, entire nations are changed for the better. Life is improved for people when they learn to obey the commands of Christ. And not just for them, but everybody around them. I want to be clear, justice is done. Justice is done. And that's not to say that there were not racist missionaries. There were crazy stories. That's not to say there weren't missionaries who did not engage in self-centered acts. Absolutely there were. But it turns out God can use imperfect vessels to do his great justice work. Thanks be to God for that. Because we're imperfect too. But that means we can be used for his kingdom purposes no matter what. 
The church's job is ultimately to make disciples rather than change society. But turns out if the church does that job well, those disciples go and change society. That's what happens. The second way that we see the justice of God being done, the first is proclaiming good news. The second is showing compassion. While secular individualism says that your money belongs to you, and socialism says your money belongs to the state, scripture says that all of your money belongs to God, who then entrusts it to you. There's a big difference, three very different views. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus calls us to be wise stewards of our wealth. A steward was the manager uh, of an estate under his owner in Luke chapter 16, he's, and he's making them, when he's that steward, he's both a master and a servant. This is what Jesus is saying. So our wealth belongs to us, and yet it does not belong to us. It's kind of this interesting dichotomy in the kingdom. In scripture, those considered righteous, they're willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community, while the wicked seek to disadvantage the community to the advantage of themselves. This is what the Bible project video was talking about. So to be radically generous is not only a matter of mercy, to show compassion this way, but it's also a matter of justice, which means to be ungenerous is to actually be unjust. Let me say that again. According to scripture, to be ungenerous is to actually be unjust. You see this strongly in Job, Isaiah. Jesus talks about it as well. You go to Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks about the rich fool who stores up his wealth for his own use, when instead he should have worked to be rich toward God, which is a willingness to sacrifice and to give to the physically and spiritually poor. In a secular society like we live in, what we find is people keep the responsibility of the poor on the horizontal level where either the state distributes money to the poor through involuntary donations, that's one way, or people might individually and optionally select to do so. But scripture makes generosity a vertical issue, that your money is your own, no one should confiscate it from you, but you do have moral obligations to God and to your neighbor to use your money selflessly and with great generosity to love others with it according to both your ability and their needs. Again, three different views of how resources are handled. Showing compassion when we think about it. It might also include helping a person or family get the legal, medical, financial, or other resources they might need to face a crisis. This is all part of fulfilling the mission of Jesus by showing compassion. So three components of the mission, proclaiming good news, showing compassion, and participating in justice advocacy. And one aspect of justice advocacy is the pursuit of universal equality. Biblical justice requires every person be treated according to the same standards and with the same respect, regardless of class, race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, or any other social category. And this idea of universal equality that we find in both the Old and New Testaments, it's unique and revolutionary in world history. The idea that every human had equal dignity and worth, it was absolutely foreign to Greek and Roman cultures. They didn't think that way. Aristotle, he famously said that some races and nationalities deserve to be slaves. Okay, not great, right? What the Greeks, Romans, and other ancient cultures lacked was the book of Genesis, which teaches that all human beings were equally created in the image of God. They didn't have that, but we do. And so Jesus, he shocks the social sensibilities of his day by receiving and and treating all classes of people with equal love and respect. 
Samaritans were seen by the Jews as, as racial inferiors, yet twice Jesus places Samaritans on the same spiritual level as the Jews. Jesus uh, started, he starts a riot. So if you keep reading in our passage this morning, Luke chapter four, you'll see he starts a riot when he declares that God loves, loves Gentiles like the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian just as much as Jews. Like Nazareth goes crazy because Jesus says this. And so Jesus, he reaches out to lepers. Another thing he does, who were social outcasts, touching them, ministering to them. Jesus encouraged his disciples to not only be generous with the poor, but to welcome them into their homes and families. Through the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus defined loving my neighbor as giving practical, financial, and medical aid to someone of a different religion and race. Doing justice and loving one's neighbor means treating people of all races and religions and social classes as equal in dignity and worth. Everyone equal. Psalm 41.1, it says, blessed is the one who gives active consideration to the weak and to the poor. So while we are to treat, so this is kind of an interesting thing, a transition here. We are to treat all people equally and not show partiality to any, but we are to have special concern for the poor, the weak, and the powerless. Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now, is this a contradiction? No, because scripture doesn't say speak up for the rich and powerful which doesn't mean that the powerful are less important as persons before God. That's, that's not what that means. It just means they don't need you to speak up for them. The poor do. Justice advocacy assumes that a reality of our fallen world is an uneven distribution of opportunity and resources. This is what the Bible Project video is relating. Project 14 relates. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. To be born into a privileged family is to automatically have friends, connections to people with influence, even if on a small scale, which can also pave the way for a good life. But children in lower income neighborhoods oftentimes grow up with inferior schooling in an environment that's detrimental toward learning and opportunity. So scripture is clear that the supreme advocate for the poor is God himself. That he takes up the cause of the needy, scripture says, and asks his people, he asks us, to do the same thing. Another way to engage in justice advocacy is by empowering people and communities to gain self-sufficiency. It could include investments that help people or groups to come to the place where they have the resources and forms of capital, and that could be social, financial, cultural, and personal, to no longer be in the position of constantly needing help from others, that you can actually lift up other communities. And the other thing we see is, is believers can take on the social structures that disadvantage certain groups. It's well understood by biblical scholars that the early church's teaching <clears throat> on love and universal human dignity, it was the basis for the eventual dismantling of slavery. That's thanks to Christian theology. Thanks be to God for that. We can participate in the justice of God by continuing the mission of Jesus, proclaiming good news, showing compassion, and participating in justice advocacy. And I need water, <clears throat> so tell your neighbor what are those three things? Go. <laughs> Come on, I'm not hearing anybody talking. <clears throat> what are the three things? What's the first one? Proclaim good news. Second one. Show compassion. Third one. Justice advocacy. Good work. But then the question is, how do we do this? <clears throat> Should believers act as individuals out in the world or through the local church? 
In other words, what exactly is the role of the local church in the work of justice? Number one, the church should help believers shape every area of their lives with the gospel. Every area. This goes back to the proclaiming part or disciple making in Matthew chapter 28. In the end, our church's mission. So this is Connection Point Church. That we're called to equip people to be authentic followers of Jesus. And those authentic followers of Jesus should ultimately and collectively engage in art, science, education, journalism, filmmaking, business, farming, or in many other areas distinctive as believers. This is the whole better together mantra, that together we get to collectively see Jesus saturate our community. That's what should be happening. The local church should be producing individuals who change society, individuals who do justice. That should be the product. I'm not saying we're there yet, but I'm also saying, man, we're intentional that way. This is the multiplicative nature of the gospel if we're doing it right. If you're a teacher in a public school, maybe even a school in a lower income area, in our area, and every single day in class, you're teaching students value, worth, dignity, and you're affirming them, you are doing justice. You're doing justice. The local church does relief inside and around the community in which we live. We've talked about that. We support missions to the unreached because of the proclamation part. While at the same time, its members participate in wider development and social reform with many having the opportunity to do justice as part of their everyday lives in their work environment. And this matters because it's both theological and it's practical. Most church leaders do not have the expertise to make public statements on social justice issues, like tongue-tied moments, right? Let's just be honest this morning. They don't have the expertise to run affordable housing complexes, community development corporations, schools, or other community organizations. That's not their area of expertise, but there are wonderful Christian leaders who know that stuff, who run great organizations that major in doing justice, organizations like Convoy of Hope, who's in Haiti right now, meeting needs. And so then we get to partner with those kinds of organizations to make a difference. Organizations like Lafayette Urban Ministry, let's talk local, Lafayette Transitional Housing, Food Finders, Trinity Mission, Matrix, Free International, Project Rescue, Gifts of Grace, Civil Righteousness, all of these do a great job on these justice issues in the world today. So we want to proclaim the gospel, show compassion, and participate in justice advocacy by making disciples, encouraging them to be members who participate in great justice advocate programs. It's part of what we do at the church. I was thinking about this and thinking, well, maybe this falls short for some of you today. Maybe this thought of how the local church engages in injustice doesn't quite fit within your framework. But here's what I'd like us to consider today. In every local church, there's men and women of different races and, and professional backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. These individuals give of their financial resources to help others. They faithfully serve in kids' ministries or guest services. They participate in a life group. They have on their prayer list a right to life, racial reconciliation, and global missions, and they're trying to get their kids to a soccer game. And now add on top of that the need to overturn Roe v. Wade, challenge or the challenge of solving systemic racism, and it all then just seems incredibly out of reach to figure out. That's what I've kind of encountered. But now if instead there's an invitation to make a difference in the life of an unborn child by serving with this great organization called Matrix, all of a sudden it seems attainable. Well, I, I can do that. And we have several ladies who simply go over and clean their bathrooms, and you know what? They're making a difference. You talk to a busy dad who has a concern for racial reconciliation. 
and you invite him to join others for prayer at the county courthouse or, or on a Zoom prayer meeting on Thursday evenings. And now it seems like, you know what, I can engage in those issues too. Because we have several in our congregation that do this. We want to make justice advocacy possible. Connection Point Church takes everyday people, encourages them to live according to God's word, and as we collectively do this in every sphere of influence that we have, God's justice is being done in intentional and meaningful ways. It does. So then the question for all of us this morning, three important questions, is what are you doing to proclaim good news? Are you sharing the gospel in your networks and neighborhoods? Are you participating in missions to the unreached? Are you showing compassion? Are you being a good steward of what God has entrusted you with? Are you using your financial resources to meet the needs of others? Are you participating in justice advocacy? Are you facilitating equality in your workplace? You can do that. Are you serving in organizations that are making a difference in the area of justice? We can be authentic followers of Jesus by proclaiming good news, showing compassion, and participating in justice advocacy. The music team's gonna come and we're gonna close in song here in a moment. And what we know is at his second and final coming, Jesus will end all evil. But at his second coming, he came not to bring judgment, but to bear it so we could be forgiven and accepted. So Jesus is already present in the world to change lives, but final justice is waiting for us at the end of time. If we understand this already, but not yet of the kingdom of God, we can have both patience and hope in this life. That's what I found. We know God will bring justice, and so then we can work with hopeful confidence, but we also know we are not the saviors. We know the one who will ultimately accomplish it. Biblical justice, what it does is it humbles us, because when we look at the cross, we realize that we were perpetrators of injustice, yet Jesus was patient with us, and he forgave us. So as we do justice, it's important we not come abrasive or bitter, When we listen to others, we shouldn't expect that they'll talk nicely as they describe experiences of injustice. Because I am confident in this room, people have experienced injustice. And we should be able to hear those things in this room unfiltered, right? The Psalms are filled with the cries of the oppressed against justice. So followers of Jesus, we don't settle for injustice in this age, even as it surrounds us, even as we find its impulses within us. We know that fallen humans cannot execute full and final justice, but we still make justice a priority because it's a continuation of the mission of Jesus. Ultimately, we know full and final justice is coming and the return of Jesus, but we also know we labor until that day. We labor until that day. But be sure, it wasn't on a high note, it is good news in a world of evil like ours that justice, full and final, perfect and complete, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming in Jesus. And oh, how sweet it is that we can be hidden in him. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And, and what I wanna do in closing today is uh, I'm gonna invite Shelly to come and, and we're going to engage in justice advocacy right now in prayer. Prayer is a wonderful way for you to engage and be an advocate for those in need of prayer. So we wanna pray this morning for people in Afghanistan and Haiti trusting God to work in their lives, to strengthen them, encourage them. So can we pray today? Showing compassion in prayer, I think sometimes we can be really guilty about saying those poor people 
who live way over there. Let's just take a minute. Let's pray for those people way, way, way far away, right? If you're honest, you might say, okay, okay. But, you know, thanks be to God, we live right here in West Lafayette, and so many nations come right here to us. And so there's probably somebody in this room who's either from Haiti, has relatives in Haiti. There could be a few. There could be someone here who's from Afghanistan, has family in Afghanistan, or the surrounding nations. So I just want to say that, to draw our attention to saying, that's not those people far away, it's us. Can we recognize that this morning? That's us. It could be the person sitting right beside you, and now all of a sudden, it's a person, it's a family, it's a mom, it's a dad, it's a brother, it's a sister, and that person can be literally right beside you. So when we start talking about compassion, it's right here in this room. That's how close this need needs to become in our lives and in our hearts. Are you with me? So when we pray, you might literally say, I think I need to pray for the person right beside me. Right? We need to engage at a heart level. When we were living overseas, there was definitely a lot of things going on in the country just north of us. And it broke my heart at how people responded. Let's just do this, or let's just do that, or let's just send the military. And finally, I had to just speak up and say, that's 150 miles from me. Do you at least care about me? Right? Be careful what you're sending over here. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, my friends started saying, gosh, I really didn't think about that. These are real lives, real people, real families being shattered, real believers who are facing an unbelievable odd. But God, we need to pray. We need to pray for God to intervene in only the ways that he can. But we also need to say, God, what can I do? If refugees, so now we name people refugees because now they're going to be displaced. What if they come here? Are you going to care in the least? Are you going to hope God makes a way miraculously? God make a way. That's a great prayer. But God makes a way through us. We become the way. And that's how I want us to pray today, with the, with the knowledge that we are the way he works. Are we ready to pray? Let's storm heaven. God, we need you to speak to our hearts, God. We need you to talk to us, to move on our hearts, to help us with compassion. It is supernatural. We need your help, God, because there are people who are hurting here in this room, watching online. Their families are in devastation, but God can help through his people, through his church. And let it be us, God. Help us right now to say we want to pray. We want to intercede. We want to lift up these needs, God. But Lord, let that work begin in me. Help me to have compassion. Help me to pray for that woman, that man, that child 
like they're my own family because they are our own family. We are your creation. You call us to care. You call us to pray, God. So move on our hearts to make it real and personal. Help our prayers to be active. Help our hearts to respond, God, to the needs that are right here going on around us, Lord. Help us to look in the eyes of people and ask good questions. How can I pray for you? How is this affecting you, God? It's real, it's personal, and it's gonna touch your heart, God, as we do this. So Lord, as faith rises up in us to say, good things can happen in Haiti. These poor people, God, they're struggling, they're in grief, they're in despair, they're in agony, they're in pain, and there is no quick fix other than your miraculous hand and touch, God. So we do pray for the divine to happen right now in Haiti. We pray for the divine touch, the miracles that can happen right now. But God, we also pray that people would give like they've never given before because they care. We pray that Convoy of Hope can get in in miraculous ways, God, that resources would flood the area, that doctors would go, that nurses would go, that people that can help would help, God, because there's so many people who can help. Lord, we lift up Afghanistan. You see what's happening there, God. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be there. God, we pray right now that the believers who have everything to lose in this life, but everything to gain in heaven, God, you would strengthen these believers right now. I pray against fear that you would give them boldness, Lord Jesus. I pray that this underground church would become a force to be reckoned with in the land of Afghanistan, God. We pray for every seed of truth to come alive, God. Your gospel wants to go forth in Afghanistan. Your gospel wants to go forth on the surrounding countries of Afghanistan, God. And so we pray right now that you would work in a mighty way. God, we pray, help us to be warriors in prayer and intercession. Help us to think and pray, God, how can we be a part of this? How can we lift up our brothers and sisters, God? How can we pray the enemy's schemes be broken and disorganized and dismantled? God, help us to have compassion today. Help us to leave from this place, not just tuning it out, but truly making it our own cause because it's your cause, God. You are actively involved in this right now and in many other ways, Lord Jesus. Speak to our hearts on an individual level to show us how we can apply justice because you are justice. Help us to do that too, God. Teach us, move on our hearts, bring us to a new place of understanding and action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's close out in song and just continue to make this a matter of prayer.